Amen? Jesus is our hope, and we have no other hope but the hope we find in him. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me encourage you. Um, also, don't forget about our, our backyard project. We, uh, I, I am so excited. I brought Joni over yesterday to walk around and to take a look. The, the uh, retaining wall and the steps are in. They're getting ready to put the sod down and, and um, got some really cool design that's going to... It's going to be way, way nicer than what I ever dreamed or imagined, but uh, let me say thank you as you've helped and supported, and uh, I just want to encourage that you'll continue to uh, keep your eyes on that, and if you can help, we would love to have you do that. It's, uh, man, I'm so excited about it. Amen. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles, or if you got an app, if you got the church app, if you don't have the church app, go to the app store and download the New Life Christian Fellowship app so that you have that. And uh, again, that's the best way to keep up to date with everything that's happening. But also inside of the app, you will find, if you click on media at the bottom, it'll take you to a page that you can open up the sermon notes and follow right along. I put notes in there so that you can follow the sermon and some fill in the blanks. I put the fill in the blanks in there so that um, I have no idea whether you're playing solitaire or filling in the blanks. So I'm not offended when I go home. <laughs> anyway, we are looking at today, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 17, and we're going to look at the story of a dead man. Let me say, just starting off, I, I realized as I started, you know, as I shared my sermon last service, um, realize that I'm going to share some things here at the beginning, and, and, and it, it does turn to good news, Okay. So don't get overwhelmed and shut me down because this whole story, it starts off with a dead guy. And how many of you remember the first funeral that you ever went to? Most of them. How many of you remember the first open casket funeral you went to? Luke, my grandson, he, uh, he came to an open casket funeral here at the church and um, he was like, wide-eyed and, 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 you know, had a lot of questions, but that was the day at an open casket funeral, that was the day Luke gave his heart to Jesus. <laughs> it has that kind of profound effect on us. How many of you have been to a funeral of somebody that you loved and cared for? Man, those are hard. I know that there are many of you that have been through these times of loss as well, but in the past few years, we've been through, in our personal life, we've been through a tremendous amount of, of difficult family losses in these past few years. First, my, my dad passed away. And then just months later, Joni's dad, Anne's husband, passed away. And then a few months after that, I'm sorry, my mom passed away. And then Joni's dad passed away a few months after that. And then a few months after that, my dad passed away. And then a short period after that, my older brother passed away. And then a short period after that, my brother-in-law passed away. So it's been a, a, an ongoing, like, just onslaught of loss, it feels like, over these past few years, which, again, is part of the whole getting older process. But they're all difficult, I mean, there's no such thing as an easy loss in those times. It's overwhelming. And in the moment of that loss, when, those, when that, that, you know, you're, you're going through that time of the funeral, you're, you're in this place of just tremendous pain, but it, it's like you go into shock. 
There, there's this, the, the loss. It's just the, the, it's not even a reality. It's just the loss. We don't even know how to feel about it. We're just in this place where we're in shock. And as time goes on, things change. And we realized that as we were gone over this last period, as uh, Joni and I would, were talking about different you know, relationships and people, and um, realized that as time goes on, the shock has worn off, but the memories and all of the thoughts and all of the little things that we did or the things that we saw or the things that you know, they said are the things that begin to rise up as memories in our mind. I'm sure that for many of you, even as I say this now, you're starting to think of memories and people and it just creates these thoughts of loss. And sometimes I realize that, you know, today, I'll just use this one as an example, that today, you know, I miss my dad today more than I missed him right after he passed away. And, and death is that way with us, isn't it? It just has this way of, of dealing with each of us in different ways. And in this world, church, there is going to be death. There's going to be suffering. There are going to be wrecked lives. It's in there. The Bible says that in this world, you will have trouble. That, that you know, none of us, should the Lord tarry, none of us are getting out alive. At least not on this side of the grave. And church, death is painful. It's painful. Sometimes it's painful because death preceded by a bunch of suffering. You know, there's an ongoing sickness or things like that that create a lot of suffering that lead to that time of death. For others, it comes in an unexpected accident or something along those lines. But listen, death, church, I, I mean, sad to say, but death is coming for all of us. Each and every one of us, we're going to deal with that. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The wages of your sin, the wages of my sin is death. Because of our sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, what we deserve as individuals is death. And the Bible does tell us all of us have sinned and fallen short. That means every single one of us. But church, we have to understand that that is not, listen, the world is not the way God intended it to be. It's not. That's why we will see a new world. A new, we'll, we'll have a, a new place, a, a new city, a new home. Because this world is not the way God made it to be. This world is the way we made it to be. We made it to be this way because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of our, 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 our stubbornness and our ignorance. And because of that, we, we suffer. And in those times of suffering, we have this tendency to do something that I think is really foolish. We get mad, we become bitter, we start to get upset with God because we're going through this suffering that God didn't create, that oftentimes we did. How many times? God says, hey, don't do this. Thou shalt not. And he says, don't do this. And he says, if you do this, that there's these consequences that are going to happen. So please don't do this. And then we go out and we do it. And then there's consequences that happen in our life and the consequences cause us to be in places where often we're suffering or going through a difficulty because of that. And then we look at God and go, why did you do this to me? 
We blame God for doing the very thing that he told us not to do. And when we got the results that God told us that we would have, we blame him for them. Church, it's not the way God intended it to be. And as we get into the scripture today, we're going to meet this woman who is at a funeral. And and again, I, I think it's really important that we can emotionally connect with her to, you know, kind of, you know, when you're reading the Word of God, to try to put yourself into somebody else's shoes, to put yourself into her place and what it is that she's walking through and going through so that we can connect with, to connect with this widow who is burying her only son. Listen, that's all. I mean, maybe some of you have been in a position like that, but that is a horrible, horrible, horrible day. That is a terrible place that, again, I know many of you are trying to change your thoughts because we don't even want to go there. We don't even want to think about being in that place. But the truth is this, that you're going to have days like that in your life where your life just feels absolutely wrecked. You, You will be wrecked. I'd like to think that we never go through hard times, but the Bible tells us in this world you will have trouble. We're called into those places where we would suffer. And sometimes in your life, your life is going to feel wrecked. And sometimes in your life, you're going to stand with people and watch people whose life has been wrecked because of a loss or a suffering or something that they've gone through. You're going to be there with people when they suffer. You're going to be there with people when sickness comes. Hopefully, you will be there with people to hold their hands when death is knocking at their door. But I, I, again, I, I felt I need to be honest with you. You can't really be prepared for that. We hear about that a lot where, you know, we're, we know somebody has a, a, an illness then, and we know that they're going to live and they're given a certain amount of time to live and, and then at the end of that time they pass away and it's always a shock. And I, and I got to tell you, you know, when I went into the ministry, I had no idea what I would experience. Look, You have no idea what things look like from this side of the pulpit. You you look around the church and you go, oh man, why does everybody else have it all together? Why is everyone else's life so, so good? And here I am, and I'm just trying to stop from crying. until you stand on this side of the pulpit and you begin to look around and and you see all of the brokenness and all of the pain and all of the heartache. I went into ministry thinking, I'm just going to preach the word of God. I'm going to love people. You know what? We're going to see the world get saved. That was ministry. I was absolutely not prepared for the level of devastation that the church was going through. I had no clue to the depth of the wrecked lives that I was going to experience. And as you look around, it may look like everyone else has it all together, but I'll tell you what, the church, every church, not just this church, but I found that the church is filled with a lot of broken, suffering, wrecked people. Just trying to manage and go through the moments of life. Listen, I will never forget my 
Now, I'll tell you another time, my very first hospital experience. That one you'll find amusing. This one, I was called out. It was an emergency situation, and I was called out by a family. They were new to the church. The family was new to the church, or at least the parents were. The little kids, we had a van ministry at our church, and so we would go out and pick up kids from all over the community and bring them to church on Wednesday night. And so we would go out and we'd pick up. Well, there was these two little boys that would come to church with us. The little boy only came once in a while, but the older boy came every week. He, every week we went and picked him up. He, he came every week, and he always wanted to be the last one dropped off. He wanted, to, he wanted to, please drop me off last. Miss Linda used to pick him up all the time if she was here. She would remember them. Well, this, uh, this, these two little boys, they, they lived with their parents in this house, and, and the two little boys shared a room, and they had a bunk bed. And the little boy slept on top, and the older brother slept down below. And um, the little boy, they'd gone to bed and put in bed, and, and the little boy was, went to sleep up on top, and the, little boy, the older brother down below started to play with matches. And he caught the blanket on fire. And he didn't want to get in trouble, so he didn't want to call his parents. So he started running back and forth to the bathroom with glasses of water, trying to put this fire out. And, and he came back in, and this room was totally engulfed with fire. And the little brother never woke up. And the little brother was, was burned terribly and Eventually, not long after just that night, died. Imagine, just imagine, if you can, what these parents were going through. On one hand, they had a little boy that had been burned to death in a fire. And on the other hand, they were dealing with a son that had lit the match that killed his little brother and they called and asked me to come and their question was what do we do I was not prepared for that kind of wrecked life I was not prepared for that kind of suffering. I was not prepared for what to do in that situation. And to be quite honest, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm even prepared now. We do not become immune to things that go on in your lives, in our lives. We don't become immune to the pain. Just because we're a pastor or a leader doesn't mean that we become immune to the hurt, the pain, the destruction, the, the, the hurt in people's lives. We don't. Nobody does. And church, your life is going to be wrecked and, and we want to be there for you. But you need to know that I'm not immune to that. My life is going to be wrecked, sometimes because of what we're going through and sometimes because of what you're going through. Nights when what you're going through may cause me to fall asleep with tears in my eyes. If we can sleep. And church, the more people that you love, the more opportunity you're going to have for your life to be wrecked. Now, again, I told you we'll get to this place because here comes some really good news. The Lord has this wonderful message for us. And what we're going to find out here in Luke chapter 7 is that Jesus finds wrecked people. Come on, amen? amen. That's what he does. 
That is our Jesus. Our Jesus finds wrecked people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth as a man. He came, he laid down the crown of glory and came into this world and he took upon himself flesh and what Jesus Christ does is he goes to the absolute most wrecked people and he comes to minister on the worst days of our life. Have you ever thought about why so many people say, they, in, in, people looking at Christianity, they'll look at Christianity and say, well, you know what, Christianity, Jesus is just a crutch for you people. You know, everybody turns to Jesus in the worst time of their life. Everybody turns to Jesus when there's a tragedy. You know what, that's not true. It's at the worst days of our life, it's at the time of our greatest tragedy that Jesus comes to us. Listen to what it says here in verse 11. Talking about Jesus, it says, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus is traveling. He's on this long journey. They're walking by foot. There are all these disciples and all these people are there with him. And as he drew near, to, verse 12, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. Now again, I want you to see this because this is a wrecked day. Listen to what happened here. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And what, and, and what else? And she's a widow. And a considerable crowd, crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, I love this, the Lord had compassion. Amen. The Lord has compassion. And he said, do not weep. Again, imagine the devastation of the day in which she is experienced. This is a wrecked woman. This is a she's in this little tiny town. I did some research on this town of Nain. Okay, all I could do was find Nain one time. It's only mentioned once in the entire Bible. It's never mentioned again. There actually is no town today called Nain. And in the location in which they say Nain was, there's absolutely no town there now at all. It's this little tiny town. It appears once in the Bible. It is a very unimportant place. It is the nowhere of nowheres. And it still is. It's 26 miles from Capernaum, the place that Jesus has set up as his headquarters. And so Jesus, he's 20, in the, at Capernaum, it's 26 miles away, and you've got this small little insignificant nowhere town, which again means that more than likely this woman was poor and illiterate, because in these little towns, everybody was poor. They were living from meal to meal, just hoping to feed themselves, and the women especially, almost all of the women in that day in these tiny towns were illiterate. Now again, we can assume that what we do know is that this woman, she's already been to one funeral. Whose funeral was she at? Yeah, she buried her husband. She's already been to one funeral. And now she's a widow. And more than likely, this was not something where, again, we can pretty well tell, it was not something that happened in old age. I, I just thinking about it, you know, obviously she was able to have children, and she only had one son. In that day and age, if you had, were able to have children, you had children. She had an only son, so more than likely there was something that happened in this husband at a young age in which something happened and he passed away. And so she had already been to his funeral, and now she's burying a son. And not just a son, but this is her only son. Her only son. 
in that day, as a, a, a son, especially the oldest son, it was the responsibility to grow up and take care of your mom. That's why Jesus said from the cross, he said to John the Baptist, hey, take care of my mom. Why? Because Jesus, as the oldest son, it was his responsibility to take care of his widowed mom. And so church, what the son was supposed to do is love her and care for her and support her and provide for her because they didn't have any social security. I think about like, like Guatemala, some of these people, they have no social security, they have no government help, they have no 401ks, they have nothing but their family. They have nothing but the fact that their kids would take care of them. They have no way of retiring, especially when you're in these poor little, this certainly insignificant town with this insignificant little woman in this town like Nain. And our life and all of the insignificance is completely and absolutely wrecked. I think at some point she obviously must have had, you know, some good things happening in her life. She was married in this little town, probably. She knew her husband from the time she was little and, and just grew up thinking that they would one day be married, possibly. We would assume also that at the wedding that the whole, you know, everybody came around and everybody was there to... You know, you know, rejoice with them, and they were there when they had their son. And then she buried her husband. And now, church, she's going to bury her only son. You know, in all the things that we do as ministers, I can tell you that there is nothing as devastating than for a parent to have to bury their child. You see that easily. And this woman is experiencing that. This woman's life is, in this moment, wrecked. And church, what we see in the scripture is that Jesus comes to her. I love that. Jesus comes to her. Really, again, look into the scriptures here. We don't see her asking for Jesus. She didn't ask. Jesus just comes to her. Jesus comes to her in that, that time of pain, in that time where she's in this difficult place, and Jesus just comes to her. Think about this. Jesus walked everywhere that he went. And so Jesus was in Capernaum in the scriptures just before this, and he had gone from Capernaum, and now he's on this 26-mile walk through hilly terrain with all of the disciples who probably were not the best people to travel with all the time, and a multitude of people that are following after Jesus. Over the hilly terrain and over all of the difficulty of the, just the travel, he's got all of these people wanting to talk to him. All these people, Jesus, can we stop over here and rest? Jesus, can, you know, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? Hey, who's the best? Who's your favorite? Can you imagine all the disciples' questions and then all the people? Hey, Jesus, can we ask you questions over here? Why don't we start a church? Why don't we do a Bible study? Why don't we stop over here? What, Jesus, will you come heal my sickness? Jesus, will you cast out this demon? Jesus, will you... All the call, all of those places where Jesus was being drawn because of the needs of people. But for some reason, church... Jesus goes to Nain, a nowhere place. Why does he go? Why did he go to Nain? I believe Jesus went to Nain 
so he could visit this woman who's having the wrecked day of her life. I believe he went to minister to this wrecked woman. He went, Jesus went to this nowhere town to what would be considered this no one woman and he came to minister to her. I just, man, the church, that should wow us and thank God for that. So in this trip Jesus is on, he's, him and his, oh, they're all coming into town. And just as they're coming into town, the funeral procession is coming out of the town. And everyone's there, and everyone's mourning, and everyone's grieving, and everyone's all upset, and everyone's surrounding her, and they're crying, and they're weeping, and they got their arms around her. And, you know, she's probably, you know, from the, the weakness of her sorrow, she's probably being held up, and the people are walking with her. Because, again, she's devastated, and she should be. And for the town, this is the second funeral that they've attended with her they were there for the funeral of her husband and now here they are for the funeral of the son but here we are and this time she's here and Jesus shows up and church that's how our Jesus works Jesus comes to people who don't ask him Jesus comforts people who don't seek him Jesus goes out of his way to pursue after people that aren't even aware of him. Church, that's our Jesus. It was Jesus who chose to get to her. It was Jesus who chose to minister to her. It was Jesus who chose to love her. It was Jesus who chose to pursue and to love and to minister and to have grace as he served her. It was Jesus who did that. Listen, our Jesus finds wrecked people. We thank God for that. Because today, I know that in this place, the facade may have been put on this morning. But in this place, there are a lot of wrecked people. People going through difficulties in their flesh, difficulties in their emotions, difficulties in their spirit, difficulties in relationships, in marriages, bondages to drugs, bondages to, to different things. There's... There's a lot of wrecked people. And I want you to know that Jesus has come to meet with you. You think you came to church. No, it was Jesus who called you to come so that he could come to you. Amen. He drew you today. He drew you to this. But there are also those of you that are devastated because of what your people you love are going through, things that people are struggling with, and you're devastated for them. You know, Jesus wants, he can, he will, he desires to pursue after them as well. And he may very well use you to be the reflection of Jesus that the people around you need. He may, but this is what our Jesus does. He seeks and finds wrecked people. And if you're going through something like that today, I want you to know the good news is that Jesus comes to you. And the good news is this, the rest of this story, you know, the good news is this, that Jesus, when he comes to us in those times, he does something about it. He doesn't leave us there. Jesus touches the dead and brings life. Listen to the story here in verse 14. And then he came up and touched the bier, the bier 
and the bearers stood still. So they're, they're, the bearers are those that are carrying this stretcher. The bier is a, it's what the poor people would use. It's a stretcher that was used for funeral services. And they would put the dead body on this stretcher. And then they would carry this dead body out on a bier. And these, uh, 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 the bearers were the ones that were carrying it. They were more than likely, again, this wasn't a, a casket. It wasn't uh, a box of any kind. Because the Bible says he sat, he sat up, it says here. Jesus says to the young man, he says, as I, as, uh, young man, as I say to you, arise. So they're carrying him out. Jesus walks up. He stops the procession, lays his hands on the, on the bear and, and says, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. But I think the best line of it all is, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Isn't that amazing? Oh, and the rich, the, the religious people, they got their panties in a bunch. <laughs> they just did not like that at all. <gasps> How many times does Jesus put the people that are following him in a situation where they go, <gasps> he's doing that over and over and over again. And the people all go, <gasps> the religious people are telling Jesus, you shouldn't do that. Why? Because the law says you shouldn't. In Deuteronomy, and through the script, there's a number of different places, but in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 11, it says those who touch a dead body will be unclean for seven days. Jesus, you can't touch that dead body because it's going to make you unclean. You're not supposed to touch the dead. You're not supposed to touch what the dead are riding on. Why? Well, because the law says so. The law says, Jesus, the law says it will ceremonially make you unclean. You will be unclean. You know what the law says? The law says that the dead defile the living. That's what the law tells us. That the dead defile the living. And Jesus walks right up to the dead walks right up to the body, and he reaches out, and he touches the stretcher that this dead guy is on. And, and what, what, are they, what happens? They said that the bears, they all stand still. Everybody freezes. They're like, what's going on here? Jesus, I can't believe what he's doing. You don't do that. Jesus, don't touch this. You'll be unclean, Jesus. Don't do that. We didn't come all this way to have to wait around seven days for you to ceremonially become clean again. Jesus, don't do that. But Jesus, he literally reaches into death and he touches this young man and he gives him a command. Gives him one word. Arise! Young man, I say to you, arise! And what happens? He does it. He does it. It says the dead man sat up and to prove that he was alive, this wasn't just a, a, reflect, a, a reaction of his nerves, he began to speak. Just for a second, imagine the emotional transition that was going on in this moment. Imagine the emotional upheaval that's handy. This man, he sits up in this time and he starts talking and he gets up off the stretcher and Jesus takes him and Jesus walks him over to his mother. Can you imagine what her face was like? I mean, was she 
in awe? Was she afraid? Was she, I mean, what was her face like? What was that whole thing like that she was going through? Can you imagine? I, I, I was just reading that. I, I wonder how long she hugged him. And he was, my son was dead, but now he's alive. Amen. Imagine the joy, the, 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 the shock that she was going through. She got her son back. Jesus gave her her son back. Her son was back. He was alive. He was well. His life was totally restored. And I love this because Jesus, not only did Jesus give her back, bring her son back to life, but in doing that, Jesus also brought the hope of her future back to life as well. Not only did he bring life, he brought hope. Because her hope, think about this, her hope was found in the life of her son. And there's some depth to that. But that's what our Jesus does. Our Jesus brings life. He touches dead things. And our Jesus brings life and hope. And, and he does all of this for us. He does these things in our lives. And first of all, he does these, all of these things for us as Christians. This whole thing is just an absolute powerful analogy for salvation. There's a lot of other things and places we could go. But honestly, this whole thing is an analogy of what God does in saving us. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter four, uh, 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, God, being rich in mercy. I love that. God is you know God is rich? Come on, God is rich. Oh, yes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But what does he say he's rich with? Yes, he's rich with mercy. He's never going to run out. It's a never-ending supply of mercy that God has. He is rich in mercy. Your daddy is rich in mercy. And then it says, and because of the great love with which he loved us. Man, you have never been loved with a greater love than the love that God has when he first loved you. And listen to what it says, that love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Amen. So the Bible says that, church, we are as sinners dead. We are, we are dead. We are sinners. We might be physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. Our spirit is completely dead. Our spirit is in the same condition as this man. We are spiritually dead, which means this. We do not seek God. It tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11, it says, no one seeks God. Church, that means you didn't seek God. God sought after you. We don't find God. God finds us. God comes to us. We can't. We're, listen, God comes to us when we're not crying out for help. This man, he was dead. He was not crying out for help. This man was dead. He was not seeking Jesus. He was dead. This man was not running to Capernaum asking Jesus to heal him. He wasn't running around trying to work this out or work that out. He was dead. He was dead. He does nothing. This man says nothing. This man seeks after nothing. And Jesus finds him. Jesus finds him. He doesn't reach out to Jesus. Jesus reaches out to him. He doesn't do anything for, this, for his healing in this list. He receives it as a gift of grace. 
And church, that's how salvation works. You and I, we are dead in our sin. We are dead in our trespasses. Absolutely dead. Which means that Jesus is the one who comes to find us. Jesus is the one who comes to us. Jesus is the one who reaches out to us. Jesus is the one who touches us. Jesus is the one who gives us spiritual life. Jesus is the one who gives us a new heart. Jesus is the one who gives us a new nature. Jesus is the one who gives us a new spirit. Jesus is the one who gives us a new power by the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus who does that. And anyone who is a Christian, a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you have experienced that in your own life. You once were dead, but now you are alive. You've experienced all of that. I experienced at the age of 27, I was spiritually dead. I was not pursuing God. I was not pursuing after God. I was not seeking after God. I didn't really know how much I even needed him at that point. I was spiritually dead. I didn't do anything. It was Jesus who reached out to me. It was Jesus who came into my car that night. It was Jesus that moved into my life. It was Jesus that took his fingertip and reached into the death of my life and he brought his life into where once was dead he did that Jesus does that he is the author of life and Jesus touches the dead and you know what didn't happen listen this is so cool when Jesus reached out and touched the dead the dead did not make him unclean First time. The law says, hey, nobody, this, you know, again, we are incapable of fulfilling the law, so all that we can do is just abide by it because, there, you know, there is no hope. And so, if we reach out and touch the dead, the dead would defile us. But Jesus, in all of this, Jesus reaches out and touches the dead and it doesn't make Jesus unclean because Jesus is the first and only to be holy and perfect. He is without sin. So when Jesus touches the dead, he's not made unclean. When Jesus touches the dead, the dead man is made clean. Amen. See, death didn't get on Jesus. Life got on the dead. That's what Jesus does. Jesus Look, he did not receive death and decay. Instead, he gave life. This man had death, and yet he received the life of Jesus. And that is how it works, church. If you're a Christian, you have experienced this. It is Jesus who gives us life. It is Jesus that gives you life. And it's not because you sought after him. It's because he sought after you. Jesus came and ministered to you. And this whole thing is just showing us. There's a number of things that this whole story is showing us. But two things that, that I want to point out. One is Jesus is showing us. He is revealing that he is the one, the only, that has the power over death. And church, if he has the power over death, he has the power over every situation and circumstance that you may feel is wrecking your life today. So he has the power over death, but he's also showing us through this story, he's revealing the kingdom of God and how things will ultimately be for us. Because church, one day, one day, we will all arise, all of us, from the front to the back, from one side to the other, if you hear my voice, and if you can't hear my voice, it doesn't matter. All of us will arise one day. We all will. Just as this man, he, he rose. The, death is, look, church, death is the enemy. 
Death is not from God. God did not, he's not the author of death. He's the author of life. Death is an enemy. Death is something that should be unnatural to us. It comes as a result of rebellion. It comes as a result of sin. But praise God, Jesus Christ came into this world and he's the only one who could. He's the only one who would. And he did for you and I what none of us could. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He conquered death for you and for me. And it says this then in John chapter 5 in verses 28 and 29. And it says, with all that being true, it says, an hour is coming. Church, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, means all those who die, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is saying that everyone who dies And church, spiritually, we are all dead without Jesus Christ. But in this world, physically, each and every one of us will die. Should the Lord tarry, every single one of us, that we will will die. And the Bible says that it's in the context of what's going on here. He tells us that, and please understand, that Jesus is the judge of that. Which means this. You don't get to judge whether or not you've been good enough or whether you've been worthy enough or whether you've done enough or whether you've been too bad or whether you've been... You don't get to judge that. Jesus judges that and only Jesus judges that. I don't get to judge whether, you know, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. You should be very thankful about that. I don't get to judge that. You don't get to judge that. Only Jesus gets to judge that. Which church, that's good news and bad news. Good news is that, praise God, I don't have to live by man's standards. I can walk by the grace that God gives to understand and know that I am saved by that grace. But there's a lot of people who make up their own rules of salvation. And let me just tell you, our God is not a codependent God. He is not going to bow down to your man-made rules about salvation. You will be judged just like everyone else by Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, God. And every one of us will stand before him one day. We will all do that. We will all come before him as judge because Jesus is the judge. And it says that all who die will rise one day and stand before him for judgment. And church, listen to me. Those who belong to him, those who have walked life with him those who are following him let let me put those who he knows because of your interactions in life will rise to eternal life and those who do not belong to him those who do not follow him those who have just made metal ascent but never come to a place where they've come into a relationship where Jesus could come to know us. Look, church, it's more important that Jesus knows who you are than you know who he is. Amen. Read Matthew 7. Those people will arise and be judged and they will end up in eternal death, damnation, hell. Where are you today? Have you come into a I'll follow you Jesus relationship because of the grace that he's brought into your life? It's what he came for. It's what he longs for. So church, 
want you to see the multi-folds and facets that Jesus is revealing in this whole story. In this whole thing, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. Jesus, in addition, I mean, he's loving on this woman. He's loving on this, this, this nowhere place, this no one woman to this totally insignificant situation in a totally insignificant town. He, and he comes into this place and he comes to love on this woman. He comes to love her. And he, he raises her son up to life. And in all that, he's unveiling, he's using the situation to unveil his kingdom, to show his kingdom to us. This is a foreshadowing of what is to come, a glimpse of what God has intended for those who call him, those who are at the end of the age. This is what God has given us a glimpse into. But I want you to see in all of this that Jesus is the greater son. There's a comparison here. And listen to what happens in verse 16, it says, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God. This, this amazing awe came over them, and, and they glorified God. A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. They were crying out, Emmanuel! God with us! Verse 17 says, And the report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And the people, so this miracle happens. This thing goes on. Jesus brings life into this dead place. And what happens, it says here, first thing that happens is they start to worship. They start, I mean, their automatic response to a move of God like that was to worship. They began to glorify God. They were amazed. Fear seized them all. They were in awe. They were shocked at what Jesus could do. That Jesus has the authority over death. And if Jesus has the authority over death, he has the authority over whatever it is that may be going on in your life today. He has the authority. And because of that, it says they glorified him. They worshiped him. Church, our response to Jesus bringing life into our dead spirit, life into our dead situation, life should be an automatic response of worship unto the king, of worship unto the living Jesus. And then it goes on, though, and it says that they begun to, it says the news of him spread. So they started automatically just to worship, and, and when they experienced this life, they automatically started to evangelize. They started telling everyone they could about Jesus. Have you heard? I mean, these people went everywhere. They went to work. They went to school. They went to the grocery store. They went to the gas station. They went to the bank. They went everywhere telling everybody about that. They just couldn't help but wanting to tell, you should, have you heard of Jesus? Have you ever seen Jesus? I met Jesus. We saw him and he did this amazing thing. You want to know Jesus? Let me tell you more about Jesus. I was dead and now he's made me alive. I know that he is alive because now he's living in me. And that should be an automatic response that comes out of a relationship with him that we want to worship him and we want to evangelize. We should be worshiping and we should be on mission. Doing what God has called us, what he saved us for. Why? Because Jesus is the greater son. Think about that. Jesus is the only begotten son of God the Father. He's an only son. This kid was an only son. Jesus is loved by the father as an only son. He was loved by the father just as this son was loved by the mother. Jesus died just as this son died. Only Jesus died not for his own sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He, he died because of you and I in our place for our sin. 
And just as this young man rose from death by the power of God, Jesus as a young man rose from death as God. Showing that Jesus is the greater son. Jesus is the greater one. He conquered death. He conquered it for the children of God. He did that for you and I. Jesus is the greater God. And as I finish, let me just make one more just uh, comment about this story. One of the things that happens in this, and I, I want you to um, hear this because this is really important. When the woman came out of the town, the Bible says that she was surrounded by the people of the community. That the people of the community were all around her in her time of grief. She was in a community that came together with her to share in her difficulties, to share at, at a time when her life was wrecked. In her most difficult moment, she had a community that came around her, and they came around her twice now for these two funerals that she's had. And when Jesus stepped into the situation and they all saw this young man rise up off of the beer and, and come back to his mom, they all were there, that community, to rejoice with her in what God had done, to rejoice with her in sharing the good news. Church, she had a community in her wreck time and in her glory time. You need a community around you. You need to be in a life group. You need to be part of a group, a people that will come together and be with you in your most difficult time and in your greatest of victories. People that will walk with you through it all because the Bible says they all glorified God together. Worship team, would you come on back up? You know, I, want to, I don't want to speak to the facade. I want to speak to the heart for just one moment. Some of you in this place today are suffering. You're hiding it well, but you know that your heart is broken because of a relationship or a circumstance, a loss. There's a place that you're feeling wrecked because of, a, because of a spouse, because of children, because of grandchildren. There are some of you in this place today that when I say that this woman's life was wrecked, you, you know exactly what she feels like because you're feeling that place of being wrecked as well. I know there are some of you in this place that have been, you have the gift of being able to walk with somebody as they go through those times of suffering. Where somebody's dying and you have the privilege of being able to hold their hand. I want you to know that you have a sympathetic high priest who understands. You have a God in Jesus who understands what it is because you have one, he has been there. You have one that has gone there. You have one that has been in the situation. You have one that has tasted the consequences of sin. You have one that has walked through every circumstance you may be experiencing. You have one that understands. You have one that knows the full sting of death. 
Church, we have a God that is not immune from our suffering. He's not immune to the things that we go through. He's not indifferent towards you. It's not that He doesn't care. He does. He's not indifferent about our suffering. He knows what it is. He unequivocally, absolutely, fully, completely, without a doubt, knows exactly what it is to suffer and die. Because He experienced that. And when He did, church, I want you to hear this. He did it for you. He did it for your sin. He did it because of His desperate and deep and great love for you. That while you were still in your sin, Jesus Christ came to bring life. Not to the deserving. To all who will call upon His name. Church, He died for you because of His love. Jesus is the author of life and He wants to be the author of your life. Was not His plan for death to rule and reign in our mortal bodies? Jesus came to bring life. And to do that, he had to understand. He had to go through what he did so that he could understand our suffering, that he could understand our struggle with death. He understands what we struggle with. He understands what you struggle with because he suffered and he died. And he understands when we suffer. He understands when we experience death. Church, ultimately, Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He left the light to come into the darkness as the light. And he came on a rescue mission for you. He came to seek and to save those that are lost. He came to find those that are bound in darkness. He came to find those who were lost in their addiction. He came to find those who were undone in their sin. He came to find those who were groping in the darkness and could not find the way out, which none of us could. We could search and search and search and search, but this world had no answer to the death that we experienced in our spirit, nor the death that we would experience in this physical world. There was no answer. There was no hope. There is no hope of glory. There is no hope of the future. But Jesus Christ came as the light into the darkness to share his light with you and I and to show us the way out. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. He came to rescue you and me from the sin that has us dead. And he came to touch those dead places and not for you to defile him he came to bring life to those dead places Jesus came for you he came to bring life come on he reaches into dead places and brings life he, re- he reaches into wrecked lives and brings the hope of future this woman her hope was restored in the life of the Son. Your life is restored by the life of the Son. Because Jesus is alive, so may we be. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come and thank you, God, for the grace that you provide. You are a good and wonderful God, and we love you as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. 
And God, I thank you that you came to find the lost, to find the hurting, to find those who are bound, to find those who are experienced the devastation of this life. That in this life we will have troubles. And there are those I know in this place today that are in the midst of those troubles, whatever they may be. And it feels like they're being overwhelmed. I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would bring life to those places and minister to those that are in pain, those that are hurting, those that are suffering today. With your heads bowed, just for you to have a personal moment here. Is that you today? Is God ministering to some places where you're feeling just wrecked? I'd love to just pray for you. Would you you just lift up your hands so I can see where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, is there any others today? Come on, our God is here. Jesus says, "I, I am there. I am coming. I am in the presence. I inhabit the praises of my people. God, you see the hands that are raised. You see the needs of their heart and you see where they're at. I know, Lord God, that you came here today, that you laid this message on my heart to come minister in these places. And right now, Holy Spirit, would you be the, as the finger of God, the, uh, the one that would lay hands on those that are hurting, those that are bound and those that are in need. Those, Lord God, that are struggling and suffering. Those, Lord God, who have, have seen the wreaking of havoc in their life, that today you would bring, Father God, life into places where they never dreamed there could be. God, I thank you for restoration of hope today. Hope, Lord God, where there never was any. Hope where it had been killed and destroyed. Hope, Lord God, of restoration ministry in our families, in our church, in our community, at our jobs. Lord, in every situation, in every circumstance, let Jesus be lifted up and all men be drawn unto him. God, for those that are struggling in their body today, those that are sick and those that are in need, God, I pray today that you bring life, that you bring life. And help us, Lord God, as the light to minister, Lord, to those that are struggling and those that are suffering, that we might walk with them through the difficulties of this life. God, have your way. remain where you are for just a moment with your head down and your eyes closed just ask the Holy Spirit to bring that touch Jesus come Jesus you're here for your reasons not ours to do what you know we need not us altar so that we could as a community pray together and if you need that listen God has victory God has breakthrough there listen if you're not going through a time where you've been wrecked you you probably just either came out of it or you may be going into it we need each other and we need to pray with one for another so the Bible commands us to do as we sing this I want you to step out and just if you need, the altar is open. We want to pray with you. Amen.
Come on, let's stand up to our feet if you can. If not, just again, sit down and just enjoy this for a moment. And if you need some prayer, come to the altar. I want some of our family, some of our friends to come minister to those that are here at the altar. Come on, family. Let's gather around those that are in need today. And let's minister one to another. Yeah. 